0: You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll talk about the tenant protections state legislators put in place earlier this year.
1: This idea that there's like tech bros driving Teslas who are skipping their rent for fun. I got to say, I've never seen a single example of that. The, The many examples I have seen are the tenants who are deciding basically, well, do I try to make a 25% every month if I maybe can, but like, also like I have all this other debt. Do I feed my kids? Do I pay my rent? Take out a ton of credit card debt? Do I take out more loans for my family? You know, that's the real struggle that's happening. Not, not that frozen Tesla skipping rent for fun.
0: I'm Laura Wenis and this is Civic. On a previous show, I talked with a tenant attorney who foresaw, at the time, an avalanche of evictions if state protections weren't extended. Well, they have been extended, and applications just recently opened for a support program designed to help both low-income tenants and their landlords with back rent that's been piling up. Tenant advocates have suggested the bill doesn't do enough for renters. Representing the rental housing industry, Deborah Carlton, executive vice president of state public affairs for the California Apartment Association, has stressed that it's important to get assistance money to landlords, many of whom have not received rent in more than a year. She also pointed out that the bill doesn't address situations where tenants simply don't cooperate, and asked that state legislators do more in terms of both policy and relief funds to support landlords of such tenants. To get a better sense of what's in the state legislation and how renters have been faring now that we're a year into this pandemic, I talked with Shanti Singh, Legislative and Communications Director for Tenants Together, a coalition of 50 renters' rights organizations in California. So at the beginning of this year, we were waiting kind of on pins and needles for the state legislature to extend eviction protections. And that did happen. There are now protections in place through June. But in order to stay, tenants basically have to declare they can't pay rent due to the pandemic, and they have to pay a quarter of their rent from September 2020 to June 2021. Before this passed, I had a conversation with tenant attorney Scott Weaver about what was in place then. Besides a temporary stay of execution, kind of, in terms of immediate eviction, what's the biggest? change and what tenants need to do to stay in place now that we have this new state legislation
1: um the biggest change is actually really has to do with the rent relief program and not the eviction protections or you know in some cases the loopholes in eviction protections themselves hmm. most of the structure that was put in by the governor in AB 3088 which was the law that was passed in august expired in january has been preserved through SB 91 including the 25% requirement which to be honest we kind of, we felt was unnecessary particularly because that 25% requirement was passed at a time where there wasn't federal relief right so it was supposed mm. to set a kind of floor in terms of this is how much you have to pay but at this point you know relief is on the way from the federal government um there's funds that, that that landlords can use to basically make themselves almost entirely whole so but still the 25% carried over. I mean, we didn't think it made sense, to be honest with you. Essentially, the the eviction protections remained almost entirely unchanged and just continued on until June.
0: Can you say more about how landlords are going to be made almost entirely whole?
1: Yeah, so with the rent relief programs, so there's a federal requirement that the tenant is quali- a qualifying tenant, which means that they make less than 80% of the area median income so that's the that's the federal requirement so it's based on the tenant's eligibility but the landlord can essentially apply to the state program and receive 80% of the owed rent for that tenant compensated to them in exchange for forgiving the remaining 20%
0: Who applies for this? Because, I mean, I was reading about this. It looks like applications are supposed to open no later than March 15th. Is it the tenants who go to the state and say, hey, I hope my landlord can get this? Or do the landlords have to apply on their own?
1: The onus is on the landlord to apply first, ideally, um, in order to get that 80-20 deal. Mm -hmm. Um, If the tenant is a qualifying tenant and their landlord refuses to participate for a host of reasons, then the tenant can apply directly, but the tenant will only get 25% of the rent basically paid to them. So there's no debt forgiveness or anything there. They'll just get the 25% they need to, to stay.
0: I have read that $1.5 billion have been allocated by the state to this. Um, and I think more than that in total. Do you think that the scale of this is going to be able to meet just the need in terms of how many tenants qualify and how many have been unable to pay their rent.
1: I think we're going to need a second round of federal funding for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think this will be enough, although that's not really necessarily on the state government. Although, you know, we can see what we can do on the state level, particularly considering that we may not be in in as dire of budget situation as we thought we would be. Mm -hmm. It's it's a good start. It's it will certainly make a dent, I think, but it's not going to be enough.
0: What do you think about the way that this is structured that it's on the landlords to try and seek this out and that it's kind of that 80/20 balance so they can get 80% of the back rent paid off?
1: I think that's a great deal for landlords and I think it's I think it's good that the onus is on landlords to apply because they have far more paperwork. I mean, if you look at what, you know, folks are going through in terms of applying for EDD benefits, for example, and uh, right. what a mess that's been landlords have paperwork they have they tend to have a lot more documentation of whatever hardship they might be experiencing Tenant still has to be a qualifying tenant but beyond that like having the landlord apply first is not the problem i we don't think that's an issue what we do think is an issue is what happens if a landlord refuses to participate right um and and also the there is there is an imbalance there because I think it's a great deal to get eighty percent of your money back if you forgive the remaining twenty percent. But if you're the tenant and your landlord refuses to apply and you're applying you only get twenty five percent and there's no there's no sort of debt relief there that's attached mm. to it. It's just it's just basically cash back. So I mean, I think there's an imbalance there. We're we're concerned about non participating landlords. We're concerned that the program is voluntary.
0: Right. And there are also people who had high incomes and then lost a job and now their rent debt is massive. Is this based on their recent income? I mean, for 2020 or for like the past six months? Or is it in general what they were making You know, at the time that they were employed? Because I mean, if you were making really good money and you were paying rent and then you lost your job and you stayed and you have this huge debt bill, do you still qualify? Is there a way to get help
1: yeah no it's it's meant it's meant to to cover people who have lost their jobs during the pandemic so mm-hmm. i mean I think that the a m i would really come in for you know during the pandemic how much mm-hmm. did you actually make
0: mm hmm I started with a very, very basic outline of what a tenant has to do to be able to stay under the state legislation that that protects people from eviction. But can you give a sense of how this works? What kind of proof do you need to show? How much work is it to ensure that you are not going to get kicked out if you can only pay 25% of your rent? And then the other question to maybe get to next is what if you can't even make 25%?
1: For the first piece, we have uh, we have more information on this too, like on in terms of our know your, know your Rights resources on our website. But what I'll say is that we're encouraging tenants to keep as much documentation as possible and to file that declaration. Sometimes you send it via certified mail if you can. But, you know, essentially we're asking everyone to keep all the receipts that they do have. But it is really hard. It's particularly hard because a lot of folks who have lost their jobs, like they didn't get an official notice of termination they didn't necessarily get tax forms and all they got a phone call maybe yeah exactly so you know declaring hardship you know we're still encouraging everybody to send in that monthly declaration of hardship absolutely there's some parts of the regulations around that that i think were you know kind of put in place to sound good but weren't really necessary and perhaps actually you know kind of harmful sometimes in reality and what i mean by that is There is something in the law that says you you file that declaration under penalty of perjury. Mm. Now, the likelihood that your landlord is going to or the government is going to try to sue you for perjury because you don't have enough evidence of income loss is like is negligible. It's zero. Mm. Mm. Really. But but what has happened, though, is it's allowed for a lot of intimidation and, and harassment where the like, you know, tenants don't necessarily know that that's not really a likely outcome. And so, you know, we've heard from tenants saying, you know, my landlord is just holding that perjury thing over me, like, yeah you better not be lying or something like that. And in kind of a in a menacing and harassing sort of way. And so that's kind of an mm. example of a detail that was put in there, I think, you know, to sound good, right, it wasn't really necessary at all. Um, I think it was put in the legislation because it sounds good, like, oh, well, that'll, we'll catch people who are lying or something but it, in reality like it doesn't really help so but but the thing Do you is think people all- are
0: lying is is there some fraction of tenants who are like well like i guess this is kind of true might as well that would be wild i mean yeah. our, our our friends
1: not our friends but our friends over at the california apartment association being a little flippant here they they have brought up repeatedly i think on the radio and stuff this this idea that there's like I, I, I'm using the quote literally like tech bros driving Teslas who are skipping their rent for free or, or skipping the rent for fun. I got to say, I've never seen a single example of that. The, the many examples I have seen are the tenants who are deciding basically, well, you know, do I try to make a 25% every month if I maybe can, but like also like I have all this other debt. Do I feed my kids? Do I pay my rent? Do I take out a out of credit card debt? Do I take out more loans for my family? You know, that's the real struggle that's happening. Not, not tech pros and Tesla's skipping rent for fun.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, talking about the flip side of this, I, landlords are saying and the apartment associations, et cetera, are, are saying, you know, some landlords are really hurting. And And one of my questions when I hear about this is, Landlords can take a tenant to small claims court for unpaid rent. There's just this gigantic pile of debt stacking up. I've seen varying start dates for this, so maybe you can shed some light in terms of either... It's in terms of when landlords can take tenants to small claims court. I've heard both March 1st and August 1st of this year. But, you know, some landlords are really desperate for this money, and then the tenants just don't have it. So what's going to happen when people start going to small claims court? March
1: 1st was the original collection date, and then that got pushed back to August 1st with the protection being extended to June. Mm-hmm. That is really what, what you just highlighted is something we're really concerned about. Um, uh, we're, we're hoping, of course, that you know people avail themselves of the rent relief, but <clears throat> for tenants who are still somehow stuck in an enormous mountain of debt, I mean, there are small landlords who are definitely suffering because their mortgage depends on their rent. There are a lot of landlords like corporate landlords who are not suffering at all um, because they they have a pretty nice portfolio going for them. Um, so, I mean, we want small landlords who are genuinely underwater to get that relief. Right. And now they have access to that relief. But, you know, for tenants who are kind of stuck with this enormous mountain of debt, I mean, there is less recourse for them, as, as I mentioned, too, that if your landlord doesn't participate in this program and again, we're hoping that they they all do, you you've got maybe 25% of your debt compensated but you're still on the hook for the other 75. And so like there is an inequity there, a, a pretty stark one, and that's just what we're going to continue to try to close the loopholes around, but you know, we we are concerned that there's going to be kind of like we've been talking about an eviction cliff, but that it'll become a small claims cliff as well.
0: Mhm. You know, what do you think is going to happen on August 1st? Are the courts just going to be overwhelmed with cases?
1: Well, I'm hoping we're all hoping that we actually uh, extend some protections beyond June. I mm-hmm. think that's really the goal for now. and also to sort of tighten some of these uh, loopholes or and, and and fix some of these imbalances, right? So we don't know what that's going to look like yet because at this point today, as of today, there isn't legislation that we can sort of wrangle over and work on, but we're 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 trying to figure out our next steps as a movement to to keep to keep that going because we definitely, hopefully everyone will be vaccinated by June, but that doesn't mean that we'll have recovered as Californians um, as a working class by June. So um, really the idea is that to keep, to keep extending this as much as we can um, while we're providing relief.
0: Yeah. Uh, Drilling down into debt some more. I mean, like I said, some people just don't have it. So what happens if you're a tenant who has like tens of thousands of dollars in debt, from back rent and you get taken to small claims court and you don't have your job back yet or you know you do but you certainly don't have tens of thousands saved up to hand to somebody who wants to take you to court
1: you're saddled with that debt right I mean it depends on what the judge orders if they're going to try to garnish your wages or if they're going to try to find something else right you know Mm -hmm. but I mean that is the that is the nightmare scenario we're desperately trying to avoid It'll stay with you. I mean, it it really depends at the it go. It's at the judge's discretion to a, to a large degree as to how they're going to try to squeeze that money out of you. But it, at the end of the day, like if if there are tenants around California, like potentially in the millions, um, who are in ten twenty thousand dollars of rental debt, I urge people to think, especially like legislators or the governor, especially to think about you know, what implications that has for economic recovery, what implications that has for society as a whole, like, you know, or or even in the most like in the most cynical sense, like how are people expected to participate in an economic recovery if they're saddled with that much debt? Right? And that's just rental debt. That's not getting into the other forms of debt that people might have, like utility debt. And you know, like again, all the all the loans they might have taken out from their families to stay afloat, like all of the other all of the other debt, like it is really becoming a debt crisis. So, and rent is only one part of that.
0: Right? Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. And on the flip side, or on the other side of that, the people who are owed that debt. I mean, if it's a corporate landlord, like you said, with a big portfolio, that may not be as It may not be an existential threat but to a smaller landlord who maybe has you know whose income might depend on on rents if they have tens of thousands of dollars that they're owed they unless they're going to go through this program where are they going to get it right 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 We're, we're definitely
1: hoping that if you're a small landlord who's underwater on your mortgage like start applying for the program as soon as it opens
0: We'll get back to this conversation with Shanti Singh in just a moment. You've been listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. KSFP and the
1: San Francisco Public Press are supported by listeners like you. Learn more about our membership program and join the public press at sfpublicpress.org donate. Thank you and thanks to the thousands of donors who have made our work possible
0: for more than 10 years. Let's hear more from Shanti Singh from Tenants Together about renter protections approved by the state earlier this year. You told the public press a little while ago that the number one reality is evictions are still happening in lockdown. There's a whole story about that on our site, but I'm hoping you could expand on that a bit here. What are you seeing? Can you share some stories of how that's playing out?
1: Yeah. um, Well, we're seeing a lot of uh, we're seeing illegal lockouts. That's that's the illegal kind of eviction that's happening. Mm. People will be surprised at how much regular speculative behavior is happening during the pandemic, and and sometimes that's been kind of, you know, people's hardships have been taken as an opportunity Mm. by their landlords to get them out (laughs) or exploit them. So we're still seeing serious rent increases for tenants who have demonstrably lost a lot of income, lease terminations uh, or attempts to terminate a lease or not renew it. We're seeing Ellis Act evictions are still happening. We're seeing, you know, sort of fraudulent renovation type evictions. All all of the stuff that you know happens that happened before the pandemic. That you would think, surely that's surely no one is incentivized to do that now. But actually, it's 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 happening. And the the protections unfortunately only cover, you know, evictions for non-payment for people who make that twenty-five percent between September and June. Otherwise, all these other evictions are continuing um, of the legal and the illegal kind. So sheriffs across California are still throwing people stuff out or landlords are throwing people's stuff out and calling the cops. Uh, there are some places like San Francisco, we've kind of tried to close some of those gaps and, and, and banned uh, these sort of uh, no fault type evictions during the pandemic. And local jurisdictions have the latitude to do that, but a lot of them won't. It really, you're kind of at the mercy of your, of your city council or your county board of supervisors there. Mm. Um, but, you know, there, the state protection doesn't really handle any of that, even though we've been pushing for it to close those loopholes. So there's a lot of that. A lot, we've seen upticks in all of that. And our we have a hotline that's free. So, you know, people call in. Uh, when and they what to, is that if you want to give it here? Oh, yeah, sure. It's uh, 888-495-8020. So yeah, 888-495-8020. four nine five eight eight twenty. We're at a backlog that we've of calls. You know, it's 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 run by vo- trained volunteer counselors and you know our wonderful volunteer coordinator, um, and counseling queen uh, Victoria, who's my coworker. But you know, it, it's it's at an all-time high. I mean, we throughout the pandemic. I think you know usually sometimes we'll have maybe a backlog at maximum of like hundred cases or hundred calls or so. I mean, there was a point a couple of months ago where we had. 700 folks that we had to get back to Mm -hmm. and you know we have a lot of wonderful counselors working all the time but you know people have been working weekends staff Mm -hmm. have been working weekends to take all Mm -hmm. these sort of sorts of calls so i mean it's really it's really a lot um and it's all the stuff that i mentioned before there's still there's still a lot of evictions that are happening illegal and legal
0: So just to be super clear about that, health and safety evictions in San Francisco are still allowed. Ellis Act evictions, when a landlord is taking a building out of the rental market, are still allowed. What's not allowed? What kind of illegal evictions are you seeing that are just patently, obviously illegal?
1: Yeah, so um, for types of evictions that we're still seeing, right, I mean, lockouts are patently illegal. That's one kind, um, right? And hopefully, you know, that, that happens when there you're at a point of no return at least in terms of the relationship between the tenant and the landlord um but you know we see harassment we see attempts to sort of mess with the lease or you know for people who are going month to month to kind of renegotiate the terms in a way that's unfair you know we see a lot of just sort of uh you know rent maybe some fake renovations that doesn't that isn't happening as much as just all of these different myriad sort of forms of harassment, where you know it's really just about trying to get the tenant to leave of their own accord, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, and we consider that a type of eviction. Just because it's filed in not filed in court doesn't mean it's an, not an eviction. Like if you if you file a notice or you threaten a tenant somehow and and they're gone, I mean that's a that's a huge part of displacement. That's a part of displacement too that's not really measured or tracked, and it it, it happens every day, all the time. So. Those are the kind of things that we're trying to to fight back against.
0: Mm -hmm. And one other thing that you said that I wanted to dig into is when when people can't pay even that 25% of the rent that would sort of protect them from eviction under the state legislation. My understanding is that they could be protected from eviction still if they were going to pay back that 25% by the time these protections expire, so the end of June, in a lump sum. I mean... A, doesn't seem particularly likely that they'll have it on hand and B, how would the tenant and the landlord kind of know that that's going to happen and what if things get extended again? I mean, this all seems a little bit squishy. It, is that the case that you could try and negotiate something with your landlord to say, I'll pay that back to you by the time we get to the end of June?
1: Yeah, so you don't have to pay it back until the end of June. But yeah, if you didn't have it in September, it's the likelihood that you're going to have it in June is <laughs> even less so yeah, I, I mean, the, the reality is you can you can be evicted if you uh, don't pay that 25%. The good news is, of course, that you can, you know, hopefully apply for enough rent relief to cover yourself for that now. Mm. But that wasn't always the case, you know. And I mean, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, it's just that now that we have that rent relief program, it doesn't really make sense to maintain the 25% requirement um, that was kind of put in as a SOP the landlords to make sure that they were getting you know some return it's essentially that's why that was put in there yeah. and it was put in there specifically because there was no federal relief money at the time mm-hmm. so we don't really think it's necessary now but i mean you know for tenants we're we're, we're hoping that people can get access to that 25 percent um if they by the, by june 30th if they if they really needed to stay but you know i mean fundamentally Um, that's not that 25% was not a policy that was uh, put in there or approved by uh, any sort of tenant groups.
0: So if my landlord comes to if I'm telling my landlord, sorry, I just I can't do it. I can't make my rent at all this month, probably not next month either. And they come back and say, well, you can't even pay a quarter. So you're out. Do I then return by saying, but I could pay it to you by the end of June and therefore I'm still protected. You can't kick me out right now for not being able to pay the rent?
1: Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm, They they cannot kick you out right now for not being able to pay the rent.
0: So another thing that I've seen you say is that there doesn't seem to be any kind of coherent collection or assessment of what's going on right now. Like the data just are not very reliable. Why is that? What kind of information would you like to know?
1: I mean, even just trying to get data from courts has been in a in a systematic and intelligible fashion for tenant groups like that's been almost impossible there have been a lot of folks that i know um, as part of the broader movement especially people who are uh you know data data geeks and like know their way around records requests and all of that stuff trying to get and just even figure out how many evictions are happening in court during the pandemic Right. Mm -hmm. Even answering that simple question where we know that data is sitting there, living there somewhere. Right. This is just talking about what's happening in the the courts, not what's happening outside the courts, which is a whole other thing. But, you know, it's been really near impossible to get that information. And it it kind of varies from county to county. Some counties Mm -hmm. will be a little more forthcoming and maybe they'll just stick a bunch of really hard to understand data um, and like throw it at you and other courts will just say like i don't have to tell you this like you know um so there's not a lot of collection at the state level that's happening that's transparent to the public or to tenant organizations and so like we're ha- we're running into a serious like data transparency issue where we can't even tell or aren't even being told how many evictions are happening in court during the pandemic so that we can you know act on that information
0: yeah um, how does that affect your work
1: Quite a lot because, you know, I mean, it's always, we've got plenty of, of stories and cases of tenants who are really, really struggling right now, but it's always nice and important to back that up with data. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the last time we did manage to get eviction data from the California Judicial Council, um, Tenants Together put out a report, I think maybe three to three years ago, where we realized that folks have been undercounting how many evictions were happening in California every year. So we had the data, we got the data like sort of from 2014 to 2017, I think. And there were, I think 167,000 evictions happening every year in California during that period. And the prior estimate was something like a third of that. So um, it is really powerful and important to have that information uh, even if, but but, you know, getting it in real time during the pandemic has proven impossible and then of course there's all the displacement that isn't tracked which i think is even bigger right it's all the things that don't go to court like all the people who leave because they you know don't know their rights or they're intimidated or mm. you know they, they they feel that they're in a sort of lost cause situation or you know people all, all of that or they've been given a notice and don't realize that they you know don't have to go so that's or the people who didn't want to go to court people who can't afford a lawyer all of that 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 whole universe of displacement is something that we're going to be reckoning with for a long time but we're also not going to know you know especially that's a it's going to be a very racialized I think crisis but mm. we're just not going to know how many people just up and left and I think like that was you know there Joe Eskenazi wrote a recent piece about this for Mission Local where he profiled a couple of people but um, and, and you know some some reporters have been talking about it including in the national media uh, like uh, but but just the idea that the scale of the demographic shifts, <laughs> which is to say the displacement that's happened during the pandemic, like we're not going to be aware of that until it's something that that we're looking at in hindsight.
0: Right. I'm curious what your and tenants Together advice is for people who might have options who are thinking about breaking their lease because i know that you know that i think my sense is the eviction protections are kind of for people who just don't have any other options and can't pay and like they 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 don't want to go but there's also the problem of people who are like in a lease where it just it's way more expensive than what they can afford now or they're a master tenant for example and they just need to get out but there are fees for that do you have advice for folks who are considering doing that
1: yeah, I mean, besides the the advice I'd give other people too, in terms of like making sure that you document everything, like try mm-hmm. to try to approach your landlord or landlady or a land person in you know good faith. Um, but you know, if, if things get dicey, make sure to you stay in touch and contact a tenant organization. It's hard. There are not really a lot of protections for people who want to break their lease right now. It's kind of considered just as it normally would be if you were breaking your lease in a non-pandemic mm-hmm. um so and i hate to it i sound like such a downer by saying that but try to negotiate and keep receipts on everything and good luck <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right well shanti thank you so much
1: yeah thank you so much for having me
0: that was shanti singh legislative and communications director for tenants together i'm laura whenes and you've been listening to civic
1: Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.